0: listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Today's scripture reading is Leviticus 8. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Take Aaron and his sons with him, the vestments, the anointing oil, the bull of sin offering, the two rams, and the basket of unleavened bread, and assemble the whole congregation at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Moses did as the Lord commanded him. When the congregation was assembled at the entrance of the tent of meeting, Moses said to the congregation, this is what the Lord has commanded to be done." Then Moses brought Aaron and his sons forward and washed them with water. He put the tunic on him, fastened the sash around him, clothed him with the robe, and put the ephod on him. He then put the decorated band of the ephod around him, tying the ephod to him with it. He placed the breastpiece on him, and in the breastpiece he put the urim and the thummim, And he set the turban on his head, and on the turban in front, he set the golden ornament, the holy crown, as the Lord commanded Moses. Then Moses took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle and all that was in it, and consecrated them. He sprinkled some of it on the altar seven times, and anointed the altar and all its utensils and the basin and its base to consecrate them. He poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to consecrate him. And Moses brought forward Aaron's sons and clothed them with tunics and fashioned sashes around them and tied headdresses on them as the Lord commanded Moses. He led forward the bull of sin offering and Aaron and his sons laid their hands upon the head of the bull of sin offering. And it was slaughtered. Moses took the blood and with his finger put some on each of the horns of the altar, purifying the altar. Then he poured out the blood at the base of the altar. Thus he consecrated it to make atonement for it. Moses took all the fat that was around the entrails and the appendage of the liver and the two kidneys with their fat and turned them into smoke on the altar. But the bull itself... Its skin and flesh and its dung he burned with fire outside the camp as the Lord commanded Moses. Then he brought forward the ram of burnt offering. Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the ram, and it was slaughtered. Moses dashed the blood against all sides of the altar. The ram was cut into its parts, and Moses turned into smoke the head and the parts and the suet. And after the entrails and the legs were washed with water, Moses turned into smoke the whole ram on the altar. It was a burnt offering for a pleasing odor, an offering by fire to the Lord as the Lord commanded Moses. Then he brought forward the second ram, the ram of ordination. Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the ram, and it was slaughtered. Moses took some of its blood and put it on the lobe of Aaron's right ear and on the thumb of his right hand and on the big toe of his right foot. After Aaron's sons were brought forward, Moses put some of the blood on the lobes of their right ears and on the thumbs of their right hands and on the big toes of their right feet. And Moses dashed the rest of the blood against all sides of the altar. He took the fat, the broad tail all the fat that was around the entrails, the appendage of the liver and the two kidneys with their fat and the right thigh. From the basket of unleavened bread that was before the Lord, he took one cake of unleavened bread, one cake of bread with oil and one wafer and placed it on the fat and on the right thigh. He placed all these on the palms of Aaron and on the palms of his sons and raised them as an elevation offering before the Lord. Then Moses took them from their hands and turned them into smoke on the altar with the burnt offering. This was an ordination offering for a pleasing odor, an offering by fire to the Lord, Moses took the breast and raised it as an elevation offering before the Lord. It was Moses' portion of the ram of ordination, as the Lord commanded Moses. Then Moses took some of the anointing oil and some of the blood that was on the altar and sprinkled them on Aaron and his vestments, and also on his sons and their vestments, Thus, he consecrated Aaron and his vestments, and also his sons and their vestments. And Moses said to Aaron and his sons, Boil the flesh at the entrance of the tent of meeting, and eat it there with the bread that is in the basket of ordination offerings, as I was commanded. Aaron and his sons shall eat it, and what remains of the flesh and the bread you shall burn with fire. You shall not go outside the entrance of the tent of meeting for seven days until the day when your period of ordination is complete. It will, if, for it will take seven days to ordain you, as has been done today. The Lord has commanded to be done to make atonement for you. You shall remain at the entrance of the tent of meeting day and night for seven days, keeping the Lord's charge so that you do not die, for so I am commanded." Aaron and his sons did all the things that the Lord commanded through Moses. The word of God for the people of God.
1: And thank you, Bobby, for reading that entire chapter. <clears throat> that was awesome. Oh, man. Did the, did the pictures help? Was that, was that helpful at all to be able to follow along? I found those online like midweek, and I was like, yes, we can read the whole chapter now. Um, oh, man. Oh, man. By the way, I have no idea who made those drawings or, like, what motivates a person to illustrate Leviticus 8, but I'll use it. Um, Anyway, we are in the book of Leviticus, um, and today we are talking about the priesthood, uh, or as I have titled it, dudes with beards and robes. We'll have to see. You'll judge if that's appropriate or not. Um, But today marks a transition, actually. This is big. This is exciting. For the last two weeks, we've been talking about sacrifices in here. Um, The first seven chapters of Leviticus are all about the sacrifices. But now in chapter 8, we get this shift, this pivot to the priests, the people who offer the sacrifices. Now, I want to give a couple disclaimers before we talk about priests, a couple important things that I think are important to kind of get out in the air before we dive into this. The first is a big one. And that's that not everybody has a positive association with priests, right? Like maybe, maybe you're here, you're watching from home, and it's different for you. Maybe you know some really cool priests. Or maybe there was a priest at some point in your life who came alongside you and helped you and ministered to you. If that's the case, that is amazing. I don't want to take anything away from that. But I think for most of us, most people today, your average Joe or Jane on the street, we're not operating with a very positive view of priests. At best, I think a lot of us are sort of indifferent toward priests, right? Like, um, they're just like, well, dudes in robes with beards, basically. You see some folks like this, like, at the airport, and it's like, wow, they're all in. <laughs> like, they've, they've gone all the way. Good for them, right? It's sort of, a, sort of an indifference that I think we kind of feel. Uh, In our tradition as Baptists, we don't even have priests, not really. Um, We talk about the priesthood of all believers, but we don't really have priests. I am not a priest. I'm a pastor. Big difference there. Pastors are more like teachers, shepherds, someone who is charged to walk alongside a community of faith and, and journey with them, minister to them. Baptists did away with priests. Our spiritual forefathers rejected the idea that there's this holy class of people separated from everyone else to act as mediaries between us and God. We don't have priests. And of course, if you're indifferent toward priests, if that's kind of where you're at, then you're one of the lucky ones, right? Because there are a lot of people today, there's a lot of people in our world and our society who have a downright negative view of priests. And often that's from experience. Maybe you were hurt by a priest. Maybe you or someone you know was abused by a priest. Maybe you grew up in a tradition that had priests and your priest failed you in some way. Even if we're not talking about the most severe stuff, maybe we're not talking about abuse, it's still painful to see someone we've followed, someone we've admired, a religious person that we've put on a pedestal, it's painful when they fall from grace. So not everyone has a positive association with priests. We've got to keep that in mind when we go into this discussion. Second disclaimer is just the patriarchy of it all, right? Like this is so patriarchal I don't know if the puke emoji is appropriate. I think it is. Um, But like, Moses calls together the entire assembly of Israel, the entire nation, and then out of this huge mass of people, he calls out Aaron and his sons. It's like, come on, Leviticus, you were just getting good, and you've got to hit us with patriarchy. But we've already seen in this book, we've seen a few times, that there are ways in which Leviticus was way ahead of its time. There are ideas in this ancient manual for priests that we are still struggling to catch up to today, but there are also ways in which Leviticus is very much a product of its time. And this, unfortunately, is one of them. This book was written at a time when women had no rights. It was total patriarchy, zero power. Men were in control, so of course they're only ordaining men. That shouldn't really surprise us. Thank God we've gotten over that too, right? By the way, thank God we figured out this whole patriarchy and gender thing in, in our culture. Because, like, no, no church would ever do this anymore, right? Like, no church would ever only ordain men and refuse to ordain women. That would be crazy talk. Is the sarcasm coming across in my voice? Yes, because of course we still do this. Most churches are still stuck in this patriarchal stuff, and they don't have the excuse of being a 3,500-year-old document. Just saying. So those are our two disclaimers right at the front. Um, Not everyone has a positive association with priests and down with the patriarchy. Are we good on that? Are we good on those two front? Excellent. With all that covered, let's talk about Leviticus chapter eight. This is a weird passage, right? Like there's a lot here. You've got animals being slaughtered, oil being sprinkled all over the place, blood getting rubbed on people's earlobes. If you've ever done that thing where you just open up the Bible to a random passage and it's like, let's see what word the Lord has for me today. If you open to the page where Moses gets all of Israel to watch while he rubs blood on his brother's earlobe, that would be a weird one, right? Kind of strange. There's so much going on in this passage. Um he's a little freaked out too. There's so much going on in this passage, and scholars only understand like half of this stuff, right? Um, Most of what we see here, a lot of the ritual, a lot of the details, the significance of some of this stuff has just totally been lost to history. Like Aaron and his sons are anointed, we understand that part. They have oil poured on their heads, which is this holy symbol when someone has been set apart for ministry, we get that. Um, They put on all this ornate clothing, almost like royalty, right? There's a, there's a chest piece with 12 stones that represent the 12 tribes of Israel. There's a turban with a crown. There are these two stones Aaron is given, the Urim and the Thummim. We have no idea what those were for, like none. They could have been ornamental. They could have been like lots that were cast for like decision-making. They could have summoned the Bifrost. We have no idea what the Urim and the Thummim were about. There's all this ceremony, all this ritual, but as much as we don't understand, as much as we get lost reading this stuff, it does all point in one direction. To see that, though, let's look at the ordination process by the numbers. Let's look a little more in depth at some of this stuff. There are seven steps in the ordination process. You've got the washing, the clothing, the anointing, all these sacrifices, seven steps. Then one of those steps is the ritual clothing of the high priest, and guess how many garments are described, seven. It'll be up there in a second, there we go, seven garments. Seven steps, seven garments. Then at the end of this, when Aaron and his sons have gone through all the steps, and they're all in their robes, their garb, all of that's been put on, then they wait in the tabernacle, For seven days. When we're reading the Bible and you hear talk of seven days, where does your mind go? What does that make you think of? Like someone just yell out? Creation, right? Yes, Genesis chapter one, first page of the Bible, when God makes the world in seven days. We get this series of sevens seven steps, seven garments, seven days because something new is being created here. This whole passage, this whole ceremony points us to new creation. That's what's going on here. Because remember, think of the context of this. The Israelites have just come out of slavery in Egypt. That's 400 years of trauma and dehumanization. 400 years of absorbing lies about yourself that you're worthless, you're nothing. The gods are angry at you. Your God has abandoned you. Your only value, your only worth is what you can produce for 400 years. If the Israelites are going to be God's people, if they're going to have their dignity restored, they need To become a new creation. They need a new way to be human. They need to learn a new way to relate to God and the world. How would you do it if you were Moses and you had this huge mass of people that you've got to teach a new way to be human? You could write like a book maybe. Good luck getting them to read it. You'd probably have like better luck with a pamphlet or something with pictures. You could tell a story and hope that that catches on. Or the most direct and probably simplest way to do this would be to start small. Start with a little group of people, one household, one family, and run it through with them. Introduce Aaron and his kids to this new way of being human and then let them model it for everybody Else. This is going to sound super random, but this reminds me of a time I had to play baseball with a bunch of Germans. <laughs> I promise it'll make sense, though. It's all about playing baseball with Germans. When I was in college, um, I worked uh, at this uh, hydraulics company that was run by the Bosch Corporation. Massive company out of Germany, and every summer they would send interns from Germany, these kids, right out of high school and college. Most of them were children of executives. They'd send them to America to work in the factory to kind of see the the other side of the business. And the highlight of every summer was at the very end of the summer we did a company picnic with a baseball game. And if you've never played baseball with Germans, I highly recommend it because it's hilarious. (laughs) This is probably not true of everyone in Germany, I'm sure of it, but like most Germans don't know much about baseball. If you grew up in Germany, you grow up playing like soccer, foosball, right, something like that. They don't generally know baseball. So like you'd have guys throwing the ball the wrong direction. You'd have people like crashing into each other in the outfield this one time. This guy, like he actually hit the ball. He like connected with it and then he takes off running for third base. It was adorable. <laughs> But I remember this one summer, there was this kid named Klaus. He was one of the interns. Klaus steps onto the field, and he shocks the heck out of everybody because he actually knows how to play. He knows when to run, when to stop, where to throw the ball, where to go. He even got a few base hits. Klaus knew what he was doing. And so I took him aside after the game, and I asked him, like, do you play baseball? Like, are you on a baseball team out in Germany? And he's like, no, of course not. We don't do baseball in Germany. This is my first time playing. And I'm like, how is that possible? And he told me, you gotta understand, I'm very competitive. And a few months ago, at the start of the summer, I heard some guys in the shop talking about this baseball game. But I've never played baseball. So I just started watching it on TV every night. This guy watched the Phillies, of all teams, play baseball every night for like three months. He watched professionals who knew what they were doing, who knew how to play the game, and then when he stepped on the field for the first time, he actually knew what to do. He wasn't like amazing at it, right? Like he wasn't going out for the minor league or anything like that, but he knew how to play the game because he had seen it being played. Moses calls together the entire assembly of Israel. And he goes, watch this. Watch what's about to happen. Get a sense of this. The idea being, when you're ready, join in. Does this make sense? We connecting the dots? Awesome. This is what the priesthood is all about. This is the idea, the big picture of that long passage Bobby just read for us. It's not about having a middleman between us and God. The priest isn't there to, like, make sure the commoners don't get too close. The priesthood is supposed to be a model of what we're all supposed to be doing. It's a model of new creation. And it was never supposed to end with Aaron and his sons. If you go to the book of Exodus, the book right before Leviticus... There's this scene right after the Israelites come out of slavery in Egypt. They stop at Mount Sinai, and God actually addresses them from the mountain. And this is what God says. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession out of all the peoples. Indeed, the whole earth is mine, but you shall be for me a priestly kingdom and a holy nation. It starts with the priests, this little group of people, Aaron and his kids. It starts with them. They model this new creation, this new way of relating to God for the Israelites so that the Israelites can learn it. But of course, it doesn't stop there either. Go ahead a couple, a couple slides, Noah. <clears throat> it doesn't stop with Israel either. Because if they're a kingdom of priests, their job is to model this for the rest of humanity. Because the whole thing is holy. Centuries after all this, there's a follower of Jesus named Peter. Peter who picked up on this imagery, and he applied it to the church. Check this out in 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 9. See if any of this sounds familiar. <clears throat> you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and exiles to abstain from the desires of the flesh that wage war against the soul. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles, so that though though they may malign you as evildoers, they will see your honorable deeds and glorify God." How do we do this today? How do you teach a world that's hurting that there's a better way, that there's hope? How do you teach a world full of violence and racism, war, xenophobia, homophobia, sin? How do you teach a world as tragically broken as ours that another way is possible, that God is bringing about a new creation? We could write a book or make a pamphlet, but you'd probably have better luck modeling it. We are supposed to model it by following Jesus into the world and doing likewise. Once you were not a people, now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, now you are the bearers of mercy. A kingdom of priests. This is why we do everything we do at this church. This is why we have a group of people who meet at Java Junction every Tuesday at noon. It's amazing. You should join them. This is why we're leading a discussion through the book White Fragility. It starts tomorrow night. Sign up at the Connection Center, it's going to be amazing. This is why we put the messages that we put on our sign. This is why we're active on social media. This is why we're focused on serving people outside this church, because we actually believe that a new creation broke into the world with Jesus, and it's our job to model it. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have all the answers or pretend that you like know it all. Aaron's sons have no clue what they're doing. If you read a chapter too a- ahead, everything's about to go sideways. Little spoiler for next week. <sighs> all we have to do is take what we do in here every week and model it out there. At the very beginning of this sermon, I said that Baptists don't have priests. That's half correct. We don't have a separate priestly class, but we do believe in the priesthood of all believers. We believe that every single follower of Jesus is anointed at the moment of their baptism to represent Christ in the world. We are a kingdom of priests. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I need a little reminder of that. Because there are all sorts of destructive lies I've absorbed about myself over the years. There's all sorts of destructive patterns that I've fallen into, self destructive stuff. There are times when, even though I know I'm supposed to be modeling this Jesus thing out there, I just don't really feel like it. <laughs> Maybe you can relate. I need a reminder. And sometimes I think we could all use a reminder. Moses took some anointing oil and he dashed it against every side of the altar. Then he anointed Aaron and his sons. We've got two bowls up here. They both have olive oil and some incense in them. But I'm going to invite Pastor Alicia to join me up here. And I'm going to invite Sue to play some gentle music in a little bit. And I want to invite anyone here, wherever you're coming from, wherever you're at in your journey with Jesus, I want to invite you to come down and be anointed. Maybe you need a fresh start. Maybe you feel like you just came out of Egypt and you are hungry for new creation. Maybe you're like super excited to get out there and follow Jesus into the world. Or maybe you just need a reminder that you belong and you are loved. Wherever you're at, you are a kingdom of priests. And I want to invite you to form a line in the center aisle. If you can't uh, get up, that's okay. You can stay where you are and raise your hand. One of us will come and anoint you. But for everyone else, I want to invite us to form a line down the center and come down to be anointed.
0: Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at BrockportFB, and on our website brockportfirstbaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.